Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, December 14th, 2014. It was a big week. <laughs> there were a lot of explosions this week, but by far I felt that the the moment, the thing that really drew me in, had me gasping at my screen was Phyllis versus Kelly. That was incredible to me. I mean, the whole thing, not even just Phyllis versus Kelly, but the whole blowout that we've been waiting for, I mean, at this point, months to come to the surface, to boil up to the surface. It all happened this week. I love a good cat fight. <laughs> I cannot deny that. It was really amazing. The whole thing started when Phyllis is just now finding out that Jack sold her condo. She feels incredibly betrayed by this. I can't believe it's taken this long for her to figure that out. In all of this time that she's been back in Genoa City, she never stopped by her old place. She just assumed that she was, she was like Jack. She assumed Jack's home as her home. In fact, just on a little side tangent, I do kind of feel like that's a gap in the story. As much as I love Jack and Phyllis together, and I believe they are the couple, I, that's who I want to end up together ultimately, Phyllis was very independent, and at the point where Phyllis had gone, had fallen down the stairs and gone into her coma, Jack and Phyllis had only kind of just begun to rekindle their relationship. She had gone back to her condo a hundred different times. It's, it's odd to me that this new incarnation of Phyllis is, is, is so all about Jack, that her focus was completely on Jack when it wasn't entirely that way before, but that's probably just be me being a picky fan. She was extremely insulted that Jack sold her condo, and she, I think, feels that it's just another way that everyone in the family was moving on from her and she can't stand that. She can't stand the idea that they weren't all just pining and longing over her 24-7 every single day that she was gone. And she was supposed to have this really nice lunch with Summer. Summer goes to the trouble of setting everything up and making it perfect and bringing her mother into her home for uh, assuming the first time. Uh, and and, tr and tr Summer's trying to show Phyllis that she can be a homemaker and be a wife and really wanting to show her mother the woman that she's becoming. And Phyllis just blazes in, doesn't care about any of that. She gets all indignant with Summer about, about the condo. Like it's somehow Summer's fault again, going and getting all half cocked and deciding to point the rage at somebody other than Jack, who is really who you're mad at. I was so annoyed with Phyllis in that moment because she was really accusatory towards Summer. And I understand that Phyllis is angry and I understand that she feels betrayed, but she's a mother. Uh, she needs to be a leader and a role model to her daughter, not standing there accusing Summer of not loving her, not caring about her being gone. That's just immature. And I couldn't believe that she was acting like that. It, it was 
really kind of disgusting. She did apologize, but I was still, I just, the whole, I didn't let that go for the whole rest of the week. That just, the way she treated her own daughter was not like a mother. It was like a spoiled brat. And I wasn't able to move past that for the rest of the week. Uh, Phyllis, of course, in true Phyllis fashion, again, decides I'm still on a rampage about this condo thing. This is my last straw. Rather than going to Jack, she goes straight to Kelly's office. <sighs> it's it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how she can make the rounds for to, to chew out everyone on the peripheral except him. And Kelly was not about to have it, which I kind of liked. Phyllis comes blazing into Kelly's office saying, I know everything that went on between you and Jack. And Kelly's like, he, you know, he told you? Phyllis says, no, I figured it out. And Kelly realizes at that point, okay, I don't need to protect Jack anymore. Of course he didn't tell you. He would never tell you. He's been putting off telling you this entire time. Why should he now? But now you're going to get up in my face? Okay, bitch, you want to talk? <laughs> you want to really talk? Mm. I was feeling it. Kelly has been building up for weeks and weeks now. This anger of hers has just been sitting there and she's been trying to keep it down. But now she doesn't have to take it anymore. Kelly has nothing to lose. She's already lost everything. She's lost the man that she wants to be with. So why hold anything back with Phyllis, especially when she's not holding anything back with her? So Philly's or Kelly is just like, fine, let me enlighten you, Phyllis, about what exactly the truth is about what was going on between me and Jack. It was not just sex. It was not just passion or Jack biding time until you came out of your coma. We were in love. He was planning to move me in to the house. Oh yes, he was gonna make me the lady of that house. You know that place where you live, where you sleep? He was gonna have me redecorate it. I was gonna be there with him. I was going to begin a life with him. So reality check, sister. <laughs> it was not just nothing. It was actually quite something. And Kelly did rub it in right in Phyllis's face too about uh, like, oh, we had and not only that, but I laid in your bed. That's what's really getting you, isn't it? I laid in your bed with Jack. We made love in your, in your bed, the same place where you laid with him. Ooh, <laughs> that had to have been intended to start a fight because that was like really taking an open wound and just yeah, pulling it apart. Um, it was a sure way to start a fight and Phyllis was ready to bite back. But I think it was, there was, there was a part of Phyllis, it was like half of Phyllis wanted really hard to bite back, but then I, I think there was another part of her that just didn't want to hear any of it. Phyllis wanted to believe that Kelly was a passing fling in Jack's life, and now she knows in this moment how very serious it was. So she, like, from, she, she, she kind of unleashes some fury. She starts opening her mouth about 
Kelly's son, like saying, you're a mother who lost her son and this is what you do to grieve. That's it's it's despicable or, can't, or it's desperate. Or I can't remember what Phyllis said exactly. Uh, basically, I think it was something to the effect of like you lost your son and you were just wounded. And so Jack wanted to take care of you, which was just it was totally inappropriate on Phyllis's part to even bring up. Kelly's son, so I didn't even blame Kelly when she smacked Phyllis, just whops her right in her face. In fact, I was cheering it on. Kelly really let her have it. It was as if she was unleashing weeks and weeks of rage, and even before that, months and months of insecurity upon Phyllis in one foul swoop. Kelly, I don't know if you really watched the scene, but she like reached up from the bot, like from the ground, and like brought her hand up and just smacked Phyllis. It wasn't a little like pat on the face. She reached from the ground and brought it up. Ooh, it was big. It was big and it was bold and I loved it. I was like, go, Kelly, you go. Besides, even though I I, I like the, this character of Phyllis, I like this incarnation of Phyllis, I'm a fan of it. Phyllis has been walking around town, poking and prodding at Kelly and everybody else since she got back. So I think Phyllis had it coming. I mean, at the end of the day, absolutely no one in this town ever gets smacked who doesn't deserve it. So let's be real. She deserved the smack. Uh, I loved it. And and the look on Phyllis's face after she realized this, she just hit me. The look on Phyllis's face was like she wanted to tear this woman limb from limb. Like, do you know who I am? I am the great and powerful Phyllis. How dare you lay hand upon me? But then Phyllis kind of ran out of the room when Kelly tried to lay some more truth on her. Kelly's saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to smack you and I'm going to tell you what really went on. And Phyllis just didn't want to hear it. That to me reminded me that, oh yeah, Phyllis is a human being. She's not just this larger-than-life character or caricature. She has feelings, and rather than lashing back, I think she knew deep down that she was in the wrong, too, and she didn't want to hear anything else from Kelly that might shake her to her core. And everything that's happened to Phyllis with the, you know, starting with the coma and coming out of it and everything, everybody kind of tiptoeing around her and realizing that, oh yeah, life can go on without me. I'm larger than life, but my life is temporary. And if I'm gone, people are going to move on. I I think her realizing that has shook her to her core. And so she kind of cowered and kind of ran away, which I just wasn't expecting from Phyllis. But Kelly followed her out the door, right down into the hall, right all the way down the stairwell, and she's just trying to say, no, Phyllis, I'm not done. I'm not done telling you what all was going on. And, like, they're kind of culminating at the bottom of the stairs, and Jack 
walks in and sees the two women are arguing and has to, you know, realizes, that, oh crap, the truth has totally blown up before I was able to gently cushion it for both women. It's like right in his face. They have this, you know, that just kind of looks like, like honestly, in the moment, it looked like Kelly was attacking Phyllis. I thought, Phyllis, you would be smart to just play the victim. It would be smarter if you were just like, Jack, F Kelly smacked me and tried to hurt me and then made Jack angry with Kelly. I think that would have been a smarter move, but instead Phyllis can't be seen as weak in any way, shape, or form. So Jack kind of yanks her up the stairs into the office where they have just a very brief uh, scene. They didn't really talk into anything uh, in depth, but but Jack says, I need, you know, you came here, you you attacked Kelly, you started this, I need to go and see if she's okay. And Phyllis was supremely offended that Jack would leave her, leave Queen Phyllis, to go even acknowledge that Kelly has feelings. Uh, she just, Phyllis just doesn't want to believe that there was anything to that relationship, but he does. He says, yes, I am leaving you, and I am going to go check on Kelly. And he goes downstairs, and Kelly tells him off too. I tell you what, Jack, I'm glad to be rid of you now that I know the kind of man that you are. You led me on. You started all of this and I decided to, 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 to let you have your space. I moved out of the house. I graciously bowed away from the life that we were starting together because I thought that you were going to handle it. I thought you were going to tell Phyllis. And while I was away trying to be the bigger woman, you got engaged to her. <sighs> she deserved it. everything she said. I, I was with. Uh, it made Jack look like the ass that he's been. And he has a perspective. I understand where he's coming from. And he tried to defend himself just a little bit. But at the end of the day, he knows he dogged Kelly. And he's deserving of what he's going to get. Of what he got from her anyway. So Kelly's just like, Psh, there's your fiance. She sees Phyllis off in the distance. And is like, you go deal with her. You guys are together now. I don't want you. I don't need you. And she walks away. I was like, you go. You go, Kelly. <laughs> now, <clears throat> the real hashing of it came a little bit later. Jack and Phyllis go home uh, to Jack's house and, oh, holy cannoli. Gina Tognoni was amazing, wasn't she? I mean, she really had the chance to unleash her feelings, her full feelings about the situation. It's been building in Phyllis for about as long as it's been building in Kelly. So Jack got the fury from Kelly, then turned around, got the fury from Phyllis. She was practically foaming at the mouth. She was loud. <laughs> she was insulted and insulting all at the same time. But most of all, I felt Phyllis was very real in that moment. She was very human in that moment, which made me able to identify with her after several episodes of me happy, you know, enjoying her getting her face smacked off. But her, her, her reaction to 
realizing the full depth of the betrayal. She's known for a while that Owen Jack had a something with Kelly, and maybe her worst fear was that it was a deep connection, but now those worst fears have been confirmed. She realizes the full depth of what their relationship was, and she is feeling just humiliated and betrayed and she says to Jack you know you were with her in this house you were gonna let her move in and redecorate the place you two were living together as you and I live together now well I was in a coma I was in a bed lights out did you laugh with her Jack did you stroke her hair did you do all the things with her that you do with me now <sighs> she said something too like um you know, all of those things that, that you do, those are my things that I do with my man, that my man does for me. And it, that just in that moment, too, it showed how totally, uh, well, I, I hate to say it, but incredibly selfish that the character of Phyllis is. It is centrally about her and no one else. Everybody else is a satellite around Phyllis, her daughter, including her daughter, and Jack, and everybody that she loves. Phyllis, she has just not, she's not empathetic. That is the one thing that Phyllis seems to kind of lack. And Summer begged Phyllis uh, to, to have some sympathy for Jack, you know, to try to understand where he was coming from, and we really thought you were gone. And Phyllis, it just goes right over her head. And in truth, Phyllis is the kind of person who can't really see past her own fence. It's just all about Phyllis, but my God, she was good. And, 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 and Peter Bergman was, uh, was good too. He was amazing. He had his chance to come back and tell Phyllis, uh, you know, what his state of mind was at the time. He said, I, I was without you. I was in this house surrounded by all your things and you weren't there. They all of your, you know, probably her robe, uh, uh, whatever, her books, the things, all of the reminders of Phyllis were there begging me to touch them, but begging me to, to, to hold you. Uh, and I couldn't. It was great writing. It really was great writing too. I don't want to gloss over that because there was just, oh, there, the oomph was there. The delivery was there. Your presence was taunting me. But Jack explains to her, you know, the second you came back, all of those feelings came flooding back to me. And I love you. I chose you. Kelly is a part of my past, which I hate to say it, but he said the same thing to Kelly like a few weeks ago. Tr oh, oh, trust me, Phyllis, Phyllis is part of my past. You're my future, Kelly. Mm-hmm. And Phyllis has got to know that. She's, I think she knows that deep down. Because, you know, Phyllis, the character is so big and bold, but the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And I think what she wants more than anything is someone who's just devoted to her. She needs the man to make it as much about her as she makes every day about her. To love her as much as she loves herself. <laughs> and this is, this, this is not just going to go away. Phyllis and Jack have a moment of reaffirming their relationship, but the doubt still hangs in the air, and I don't think it's just gonna whisk away 
anytime soon. You guys have to let me know what you thought about all of it. Uh, It was an incredible scene. I loved the way the Abbott Mansion was decorated, by the way. Uh, They they always had the most beautiful flower arrangements there behind the couch. I thought the Christmas tree in the background was absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous colors. So, I, I mean, just everything about this exchange was a flawless to me. I can't even find anything that I didn't like about it. I thought it was the writing, uh, the acting, and even right down to the styling. It was just flawless. After all these years, Jack and Victor are still fighting about every single little thing right down to getting the best Christmas tree on the lot. Oh, I loved that so much. Jack decides he's going to go get a a Christmas tree. And oh, at the end of the season, any of the trees that are left over, I want to donate it to charity. You know, he's getting to be a big man there. And the the person who's working at the lot says, oh, I'm sorry, that's already been taken care of. And Jack just, you know, kind of kicks his foot and says, gee, I wonder by who. (laughs) Someone else has beat him to it. I wonder who that could be. And then he thinks... He's found the perfect Christmas tree, the the best one, the one to impress Phyllis the most. And guess what? Victor's already bought that one. It's so, it was so good. It was so perfect. Um, I can't even tell you how much I squealed with holiday joy (laughs) over that one. And you guys know I loved it. It was, it's just representative. I, I, I love the lifetime feud of these two characters. For me, it is like it, it is the base of the show, one of the fundamental bases of the show. And in that Christmas tree lot scene, it was just blown. It was it was taken uh, and shown at a micro level, almost like uh, it, it does kind of seem like uh, Victor's always one upping Jack. <laughs> He can just never win. He's probably never going to. But they almost get into this bidding war over the best tree when Nikki walks up and says, What are you two doing? You're fighting in a Christmas tree lot. (laughs) It's just so funny because they were acting like just little children, little toddlers. And Nikki even said something like, What's the problem? Did you two not get your nap today? It was perfect. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. The Victor and Jack feud just, it it never gets old for me. I don't know why. I know it gets old for all of the other characters, but it just never gets old for me. I can count on it. I can count on that Victor-Jack feud. Uh, and it continues. Lionar is clearly ramping up a, a, a business storyline, a corporate espionage storyline that I am already enjoying and plan to continue to enjoy. Uh, Victor is very much aware that Ashley is working on a secret top form, top secret formula, and he wants to know what it is so that he can compete. And he wants Victoria back at the office to help him. I mean, Victoria's already been snooping around Ashley's formula 
So she's got some idea of what's going on. Oh, yeah, and by the way, her new boyfriend Stitch is in on the inside. I'm sure that doesn't hurt either. But Victoria gave birth like 12 seconds ago, and Victor's already pressuring her to find out when she's going to be back at work. And not only that, but he's looking at little Katie and picturing her in a power suit with a briefcase. It's Again, it's just something I can, I can count on. I, I just love it. Um, Victor has, he's got a mole on the inside of Ashley's operation. He schedules a lunch with her to get her out of the way so that the mole can go take pictures of things around in the lab. And Ashley gets his number right away. She, you know, it's it's never just casual with uh, with Victor. She says, "Well, you know, this is great. What do you really want from me, Victor?" Um, and it was it was nice to see her kind of shut him down and and saying the same thing that Nikki had just said. Don't you and Jack ever get tired of this feud? Just please don't contact me again. If if all it is is to play these silly power games. I, I want to be friends with you. I appreciate your company, but you're manipulating me and I don't like it. I mean, he hands her a contract trying to buy her away from Jabot, which he knows is never going to happen. He knows her well enough to know she's never going to pick up that envelope. He's going to get her out of the way and I don't know if she's going to figure that out. I mean, just wait though. It ain't going to be good. When she does find it out, she's not going to be happy. She comes back, after this meeting with Victor, she comes back to the lab and and sees old Tobias snapping photos of her top secret documents and she doesn't stop him right away. She kind of just goes out into the hall and asks herself, what the heck was that all about? I, I, Do you guys think she's already put it together that it was Victor? I'm afraid to know what her um, reaction is going to be because when I don't know if she knows it's him yet, but if she does, yeah, Ashley has always been someone who has defended Victor. I mean, think back. Remember there was that scene at the Abbott house when uh, everybody confronted Victor about the fact that he was the one who brought Phyllis out of the coma and forged Summer Signature and all that. Ashley was the only one who was there defending him. So Ashley's default position is, well, we have to forgive Victor. But this time, I don't know. Is it weird that I like Stitch better when he's drunk? <laughs> he was kind of charming being drunk. I don't know. And his little reaction, he, he's all drunk. He goes to the office and Ashley tries to stop him or hold him, keep him in a holding cell or whatever. And he's clearly sloshed. And he had this funny little interaction with Tobias. He's like, hey, welcome aboard, matey. Which I thought was funny considering he's a pirate. I made the, uh, I don't know if it was before Halloween, but I, I made the connection that Stitch basically looks like a pirate. He seems like he should have a bandana around his head and like the big old hoop earrings and maybe a little beard drawn on him or a little goatee or something. And then he's saying, welcome aboard, matey. I thought, hey, did somebody get the memo on that at YNR? Thank you for the pirate reference. It was subtle, but I'm going to assume it was just for me. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoyed Stitch this week and... I enjoyed Stitch and Ashley. I don't know if anybody else is feeling that connection, but I was. I think that I like Stitch, and I like him better with Ashley than I really have liked him with anybody else. I, I, and I, I guess in a way, um, I kind of like 
how Ashley is with him. I like that she's, for one thing, I like that she's clearly into him, but she's not desperate about it. She's mature enough about it. She's been all down her road long enough to know that she's not going to need to trap him into a relationship that he doesn't really want to be in. I think she is just kind of enjoying him for what he is and maybe kind of playing a slow game and thinking, well, if he becomes available in the future, you know, maybe we could get together. But she doesn't coddle him in the way that women typically do when they really, really want a man. She hands him his ass on a platter when he's standing there being a drunk idiot. And I don't know, in some ways, she was almost playing it like a mother figure, like trying to sober him up with a cup of coffee and taking care of him. And it felt very motherly uh, until the shower scene. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> she tries to sit. Apparently, there's a sh- there are showers in the Jabot lab. You know, because when you're when you're working with blue liquid all the time, you could get, you know, get some of that blue liquid on you and uh, and then you gotta go take a shower to get it off. So they got the showers there. So Ashley takes him down, tries to sober him up by hosing him off and he kind of pulls her into the shower and they kind of start making out and then it gets a little more heated and they just kind of showed an exterior shot of the shower um there was kind of a part of me that thought I don't think they slept together maybe I'm just being like looking for a twist where maybe there isn't a twist but I I don't know I mean they were they were getting hot and heavy maybe they did I'm not sure but in my head I kind of wondered I wonder I I don't know if I don't know if Ashley would sleep with him why would she sleep with him when he's all drunk, unless she's got a motive. I don't, I don't know. You guys tell me. Do you think they really slept together? Um, are you feeling this couple? Uh, the next day, he's completely hungover at a big meeting with Jack and Abby. And Jack sees that he's been drunk and fires him. Eh, I mean, I, he's, he's kind of in enemy territory. Everybody in the Abbott family is on Team Billy and Victoria. And he's sort of trying to manipulate his way through this for a job. Uh, and really mostly because Ashley wants him there and Abby wants him there too. As Jack tries to fire him, Abby and Ashley are in unison like, No, don't fire him, he's too hunky! <laughs> I don't know if they're both going to end up fighting over him or what the deal is going to be. They managed to save his job, but Jack is very suspicious of him. In fact, he seems kind of suspicious that Stitch is the mole. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Stitch kind of hustles off uh, as soon as he sees a voice message from Victoria. Uh, Victoria has just taken the baby to go meet Catherine. She bundles the baby up and takes her to Catherine's memorial um, with like the plaque and everything and is kind of trying to introduce her daughter to, you know, to, to the person that she's named after. And Victoria had this wonderful monologue where she's telling Katie all of the things, all of the qualities that Catherine was. And I did cry during that scene. Um, mostly, I think, because it was, it was a beautiful tribute to her. But there's also still a part of me that finds it really hard to believe that Catherine is really gone. And they've mentioned her a couple of times more recently, and it just sort of is shocking to me that I'm never gonna 
see her again. I'm never, she's not just going to walk, you know, onto my screen and, and do something Catherine-esque. It's, it's very shocking to me still. And I really appreciate that YNR still takes the time to honor her. And Victoria decides from this uh, introduction that she needs to make a decision. She needs to be more like Catherine. Catherine wasn't afraid to make a decision. And Victoria realizes she needs to do the same. So she goes home, meets with Stitch, and he tells her, or she tells him, I can't guarantee you anything. I don't know where this relationship is going to go, but we're never really going to know unless we give it a try. So she tell, you know, they kind of both decide, yay, you know, this could be, this could be good. This is exactly what Stitch wants. And Victoria is now open to a relationship with him now that she knows the full truth. And just as they're talking, Paul calls to announce that Jeff has dropped the charges against Stitch and Chris has decided to drop any criminal charges. So now Stitch is free and clear and absolutely no, has absolutely Absolutely no obstacles to moving on uh, with Victoria. There's absolutely no more secrets between them. Oh, uh, wait. <laughs> uh, there's, I guess there is that uh, unpleasant little uh, thing that just happened between Stitch and Ashley. That's another reason why I kind of think maybe Ashley didn't really sleep with them. Like, it's going to be revealed that she's going to go, no, look, we didn't really sleep together. I can't almost wonder if it was Ashley finding her way to manipulate Billy and Victoria back together by keeping this secret of stitches. And she says that she's not going to tell Victoria. She agrees to keep quiet. But she knows damn well that this could easily destroy any chance that Victoria has with Ben. But as we saw from at the very end of, I think it was Friday's show, he's, you know, he's looking at Victoria, wanting to be honest with her and starts to kind of tell her, yeah, there is something else I want to tell you. I'm sure that's going to be cut off by a phone call or somebody stopping by or yada yada. But I don't know if ultimately, will he tell her himself? Adam has made his triumphant return to Genoa City. Well, Gabriel has made his triumphant return to Genoa City. And uh, the second he walks into the athletic club, he sees Chelsea sitting there alone at a table and he's leering at her from across the room. And she looks up and sees him too. And I'm not sure if it was some a realization of a mystical connection or if Chelsea was just getting the creeps from the guy who's staring at her. At her so hard from across the room. <laughs> I don't know, but I think everything in Adam wanted to just walk up to her and tell her everything and reconnect with her and, oh, don't worry, you don't have to be with this other guy. I'm back in kind of a similar way to what went on with Phyllis and Kelly and Jack. Like, oh, no, 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 I'm back, so you don't have to deal with this guy anymore. But then Adam gets an eyeful of Chelsea making out with Billy right there at the table and and then Chelsea casually mentions as she walks by Adam to exit the building how life is better than it's ever been. And she just strolls out the door and probably kills Adam with a, a, a kills him a million deaths. Billy and Chelsea 
do seem to be happy together. Um, they're cute. They uh, seem mostly supportive. The thing that is still bothering me. Well, okay, one thing. It was weird that Billy called Katie Delia this week. I'm sure it's just a slip. Uh, hopefully it doesn't mean anything creepier or like I don't want him to go off on some weird tangent. Hopefully it was just an accident. But the thing that just ticking me off about Billy is he needs to learn to keep his mouth shut about his feelings for Adam. Hey, I get it. I get why you feel how you feel about Adam. If someone had killed my daughter, I would hate them forever and there I would not be able to hide it. But the fact is, Billy, you've put yourself into this situation. You are now dating and living with Chelsea. That's just what you get. It's part of the package, and you chose it. Adam is Chelsea's ex-husband, and more than that, Adam is Connor's father. And you can't just be going around saying negative things about Adam in front of his son. It's not right, and you know it. The point is not about how you feel, Billy. You have a right to feel how you feel, but it's about keeping your mouth shut because you're putting your feelings for Chelsea and Chelsea's feelings above your own. That's what love is. And him continually acting like Adam, uh, you know, if for, for him continually being negative about Adam in front of Chelsea is, it is selfish. And nobody's asking him to hide how he feels. Just clip your mouth about it. And Chelsea tells him that. They kind of had it out about that. And I I, I felt like I was kind of happy when she pelted him in the back of the head with a snowball because he was kind of being a jerk. Uh, he did he did apologize. But and I, I, I do like this actor. I do like this Billy. It's funny how I can just grump, 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 grump about recast. No, nah, it just doesn't seem right. And then months later, completely comfortable with, with the new actor. I'm sure Y&R knows that, too. They've got to know after years of experience in this business that, yeah, 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 the fan base can complain, but eventually they'll get over it. Because <laughs> I do I do like the new Billy. I I... I just accept it. For, I guess I'm just accepting. I'm just accepting it for what it is. Um, and I I know that I will ultimately accept the new Adams. I'm just, I'm too laid back about it. Because you know how I loved Michael Mooney. It was hard for me to get over that. But I just, I think you got to be flexible with, um, you know, with, with if you're watching soaps, it's just nothing's the same ever. Like, the point is they keep it rolling, keep it moving, and it's storyline-driven, and some actors get to stay on for a long time, and you get to know them, and others just don't. I mean, there have been a, a, a I mean, kind of a lot, if you look at the graveyard, uh, the our graveyard, there have been a lot of people who've been cast aside, um, but, I mean, actors and characters, but I don't know, I think I'm, I'm just trying to learn to accept, I think, think Adam, the recast of Adam is very good so far. Very, very good. Um, Adam is still having dreams about the night that Delia died. And this is really the first indication we've had that he's still sorry about that. We've spent the past 
few weeks getting to getting reacquainted with Adam and understanding where he is in his process, what he's been through. But this was the first time we saw him expressing remorse over what had happened to Delia. Uh, I'd like to continue that. I really want him to get to the bottom of, you know, what happened. I mean, if, at this point, he has no real... Um, Gosh, no real reason to think that he didn't kill Delia, and I don't know what the straw is going to be that'll break that whole thing apart, but something has to. He's continuing to be Gabriel. I don't know if maybe, is there any chance like Gabriel did it? I got no idea. Uh, he's, he's moving on with this charade. Sage, I really like really, really like her. She's, she's, she knows Gabriel. I think there's some kind of implication that she was in a relationship with, with Gabriel or she was in love with him at least. She knows everything about him and she's trying to really incorporate uh, Gabriel's everything, personality, mannerisms in, into Adam, I mean, right down to what pocket he keeps his money clip in. So she's testing Adam, all these little things, everything he could possibly want to know about old Gabe. And they did hand over his watch. Sage handed Adam Gabriel's watch this week to wear. And there was an inscription from his father. And Sage um, implied that they were very close there was something I, I, I think I, I might be wrong about this, but I think Gabriel worked for the family company with the father. And um, th there was Adam said something to the effect of, well, Gabriel couldn't have been a very good business person because uh, while he was away doing the traveling and everything that Gabriel did, uh, the business collapsed. And Sage elaborated on that by saying, well, that wasn't Gabriel's fault. That was a hostile takeover. Hmm. Hmm. Wonder who that could be. <laughs> uh, well, maybe it's uh maybe it's uh the reason that Constance hates and cannot stand the name Newman. I think we have the connection there. Not sure how that's all going to work or if it's going to play into a larger thing. I'm not entirely sure. Um but Adam decides to continue to go to Indigenua City, incorporate himself into their lives as Gabriel. He goes to the coffee house, first sees Noah, who doesn't recognize him, followed by Sharon. And Adam realizes if, if you know, if I can fool Sharon, I can probably fool anybody. Sharon knew me, and she she would know me if anyone would. So he interrupts Sharon and Noah's conversation to make some small talk with her to see if there's any little glimmer in her eyes that she might recognize him, which she completely doesn't. <laughs> this is confirming that even the people who know him best cannot possibly recognize him. Um, but uh, it didn't stop uh, <laughs> Noah from saying, that guy was hitting on you. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, part of me is kind of like, are they going to reunite Sharon and Adam? I mean, where, where are we headed here? I'm, I'm not sure. It's another one of those situations where I don't know where the couples are going to fall, but I am curious to find out. Uh, the second test, of course, was Victor. At the very end of Friday's show, Adam gets into an elevator at the athletic club, and just as the doors are, are getting to close, a hand goes right into the middle of those doors and opens them back up. Who else could it possibly be? Who else says, I'm not waiting for another elevator, I'll just stop this one, and like, prize his way into the, into the little box. It's Victor. 
and now Adam and Victor are in the elevator alone together. And I, I, I'm not sure. Victor, you know, for everything they've been through, I think maybe Victor might be one of the only people who ever really knew his son. There's a lot to be said that uh, Adam was loved and known by the women in his life, but I think Adam was the chip off of the old block. I think that Victor and Adam had the rivalry, have the rivalry that they have had, because they are so similar. So the question is, will Victor find out? I kind of dig Sharon's lawyer, the Sherman lawyer guy. There's something about him. He's just sle He's just sleazy enough for me. I don't know why I like the sleazy characters. Maybe it's because it's just so opposite from me. I don't know, but there was something about him I kind of liked. I wouldn't mind seeing him around a little more. So Nick and Sharon are still going head-to-head uh, -head over the faith custody issue, which... I mean, I've said before, I just don't think it's necessary. I don't want to see the custody battle, nor do I want Nick to win the custody battle. Nick is very annoyed that Sharon would even hire... Uh, the, what the heck's his first name? The Sherman. I can think of Mitchell Sherman, but I can't think of the of the the of his kid's last, or first name. But, you know, Nick, what right do you have? What do you, you... You know, you're not happy with anything she does. Write down to what lawyer she has. What do you expect her to do? Just roll over and give over the kid? She's not going to do that. So live with it. You started this battle. So be, be a man and finish it and just leave her be. Don't You don't have any say over what she's doing in her life if you don't want to be with her. Sharon, I think, is, I think she's doing the best she can. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just constantly defending her. I know I'm sorry, but I think she's doing the best she can. She begs Noah to help her to stop this. I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I think it was a reasonable request to ask Noah to try to talk to Nick. Uh, she said, I'd rather handle this within the family if I possibly can. And I think that's a, I think that's a, a worthy um, cause. I think that's a good route to try to go rather than to continually make it public. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I think Nick is going to take it all the way, no matter what the consequences really are. Um, interesting thing at the end of Friday's show, Sage has left Adam at the coffee house with Sharon and she goes, I guess, next door or something <laughs> to, to the underground. She walks in the door and asking if they serve food there and Nick turns around from behind the bar to see her and says, it's you. So he surely must recognize her as the woman who saved his life. He feels indebted to her. I'm sure he's not just going to let her walk out the door. I'm hoping that he kind of convinces her to stay, talks to her a little bit more. I'm feeling it. Like, I don't know, Nick and Sage, that could be, that could work. Like, don't get me wrong. I am still totally holding out hope uh, for the Nick and Sharon reunion, but... I can understand now that he is not just going to forgive Sharon magically for what she did, neither should he. So maybe the sage thing could be an acceptable detour? Dylan has been planning his proposal to Avery probably for weeks now, and he takes her to the park, little park bench, and sits her down and gives her a hot cocoa, with, complete with little mini marshmallows. <laughs> he, you know, 
I think Dylan has turned out to be a pretty good character. Um, there was something about his proposal that was a little bumbly, uh, which is a, a, just a perfect match for Avery. I, I, he was clearly nervous about what he was about to do, as was Avery nervous about what uh, he was about to do. He gets down on one knee, and she realizes what's going on, and she freaks out, kind of stands up, and is like, whoa, what? This is happening? And she totally hijacked his proposal with her own nervousness. You know, and I think Avery has turned out to be a really good character, too. It's another one of those situations where I think I was resistant to both of them at one point, but now I like them. I like them together. Um, she accepted his proposal. It was a very nice little scene, followed by this, like, daylight sort of uh, natural lit uh, lovemaking scene. They go back and, and make love. Is it me? Like, I, I do like... It's been two weeks in a row of Dylan and Avery lovemaking scenes, and both of them have kind of made me blush. Does anybody else feel like for some... Maybe it's just, like, too hot for TV or something, but the Dylan and Avery lovemaking scenes, are they're almost just, like, a little bit... I'm not graphic, but just sort of a little, like, whoa... Joe and Kane are discussing the the development deal, the whole, we're going to redevelop the warehouse district, and Lily gets up in the middle of it, too. Uh, if Kane's involved, and especially if he's involved on behalf of the athletic club, Lily wants to be involved, too. So she starts asking Joe questions, and the interesting thing was that Joe reveals the entire warehouse district is owned by one entity. And Lily starts, like, asking questions, and he uh, reveals that it's the name of the entity was Geralamo. It was spelled G-E-R-A-L-A-M-O. And YNR even showed us a close-up of the prospectus or something. So this is some kind of little Easter egg, uh, Geralamo. So it's some, it's somebody. You, this is probably the mystery of the week. So you guys got to tell me what or who is Geralamo. Go ahead and leave me a comment and give me your predictions now. I think it's Neil. Uh, maybe I'm crazy, but Neil's been back in the fold, uh, walking around Jabot a lot lately, uh, asking questions about business. And I just wonder if it could be him. He's he's got money. I mean, he's not he's not broke. He's probably not as rich as Victor or Jack, but he's got his own money. It's certainly conceivable that he would have bought up some of those old building, buildings. I don't know why he would do it secretly, but I don't know why anybody does anything half the time. Uh, but I'm just I can't help asking myself. Uh, it's got to be somebody that's connected to Lily or Kane somehow. Uh, like as soon as Kane steps away from this little mini business meeting, Joe is hitting on Lily. He said something to her about how, oh, the questions that you're asking, you know, it's kind of hot seeing you, you know, being a woman in charge or it's very attractive. She, like, she was really taken aback by the by the fact that he said it, and he waited until Kane conveniently left the little meeting to say it. I don't think she 
she knew what to do with that. I mean, she said later, like, it's annoying. He, I got the impression that he just wanted to flatter me and distract my questions by, you know, by giving me a little bit of praise. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he is genuinely attracted to her. I don't know what to do with that information either because it was completely inappropriate on multiple levels. It was inappropriate for being in a business setting and it was inappropriate considering how close and friendly he's becoming with Kane. So I don't know what the heck that Joe is doing at this point. But the preview for Monday's show, uh, Lily comes into the athletic club and she's telling Joe that she's vowing to fight him. She's going to fight this development. So Kane has already said and demonstrated that he's going to go along with whatever Lily wants to do, despite the fact that he clearly wants to work with Joe, clearly wants something more for his career. But it's it's clear to me that this storyline is meant to drive a wedge in between Kane and Lily, which again just kind of makes me think Geralimo, like the Mo could be Moses. Like there's an L in there. Could that be Lily? Like is this I'm not sure I'm not sure what how it could the the Mo thing gets me. But I, I mean I don't know. Maybe it could be Neil. Why not add him to the mix of all this? Devon and Gwen are getting along splendidly, way too splendidly for Hillary's taste. Hillary is not having it. All of a sudden, Devon and Gwen are making time f- f- to be alone together. They're out at a club together, talking and chatting it up. When Hillary comes in with her husband on uh, on her arm and sees them together and is immediately jealous, Hillary has this sit down moment with Gwen, tries to talk her out of it, like. Oh, oh, it's so nice of you to pretend to like Devon, but you can stop now. And Gwen's like, no, I kind of like Devon. I want to get to know him. So Hillary's realizing that she doesn't have a leg to stand on, can't do anything to stop this. What right does she have to be jealous of Devon hanging out with another woman when she's married to another man? So I tell you, I absolutely love how this little plan is backfiring on her. My thought, though, is... Is, is there any chance that Devon has flipped the tables on her a little bit and maybe he is getting involved with Gwen or and maybe Gwen might even be in on it in like continuing to pretend that they have this relationship, not just to fool Neil, but to make Hillary jealous enough to leave him. Gloria throws an anniversary party for Michael and Lauren. It was great to see Gloria, of course, but the anniversary party's going on. Lauren's there. Kevin's there. Gloria Jeff's there. Michael's the only one who isn't there. He's in his office feeling sick. He lays down on the couch. I think he's beginning to realize that he can no longer put this off. Um, something does need to be done. He, he really can't hide it anymore. He ends up showing up at the anniversary party after everyone has already left. Kevin is still hanging out in the background watching Kevin try to, or uh, sorry, Kevin's hanging out in the background watching Michael try to come up with some kind of excuse to tell Lauren why he wasn't there at their party. Uh, anything other than telling her the truth about what's really going on. And Kevin forces him to do it. 
He says, right now, I, if you don't tell Lauren what's really going on, I am going to. And Michael's like, are you really going to do this to me right now? But Kevin knows this is what Michael needs. This is what Lauren needs. And in that instance, I think Kevin was probably one of the best friends that Michael's ever had. Uh, he agrees to tell Lauren. They go back to his office and Michael... I mean, really, very um, unceremoniously, uh, with no fanfare, no anything, just flat out says, I, I wasn't there because I have cancer. And, wow, uh, Lauren's reaction was very unexpected. Um, she erupts into laughter. She she laughs in his face. And I, I, I didn't know what to make of that. Um... She explained that she had gone over all of these scenarios in her head, thinking Michael was going to tell her he was having an affair, that he didn't want to be with her anymore, and now he's flat out telling her he has cancer. And I, I'm having a hard time connecting with why laughter was her reaction. Uh, and I think Michael was too. He very coldly said to her, uh, well, I have cancer, and uh, to put a point on it, I have prostate cancer, and uh, so you go ahead and laugh if that's what you want to do. And she immediately, it didn't seem shocked to me. It didn't seem like the kind of reaction that I would have had. Lauren went immediately from laughter into anger. And I guess, isn't like disbelief the first stage of, of anger or something, and or of, of grief? So maybe that's it. Maybe the laughter was just disbelief. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand the laughter. I understand the anger. Uh, she's mad at him. You've had cancer for weeks and you didn't tell me. And she's really kind of laying into him hard. And Michael just says, this is my cancer. You are not allowed to be mad. This is not about you. This is me. This is mine. This is my body. And I, I do understand Lauren being mad. I understand Michael. Um, and I do understand why he's done what he's done. Um, I, I, I just... Gosh, I was having a hard time connecting with Lauren um, because I just feel like if somebody told me that they have cancer, I'm I'm collapsed. I'm I'm immediately assuming the worst. I'm assuming this is a death sentence. Uh, I'm not laughing and I'm not getting mad. I'm crushed. So it was it was hard. Those were both reactions that I wouldn't have had, and usually I kind of pride myself on being able to connect in with with the reactions. Maybe you were able to identify. I mean, everybody's different, and they deal with grief differently. So let me know how how you felt about about Lauren's reaction. Um, she, she is maybe just a stronger woman than I am. Um, she really wanted to be there for Michael. And finally, after all this time, Michael finally has this moment where he lets out the rage. He pulls out the pin and allows the feelings that he's having to actually come to the surface. And he's screaming in his office, why is this happening to me? You know, he doesn't understand, and he's been keeping it to himself and not allowing himself to lean on his partner for all of these weeks. And Lawrence just comes up and holds him and says, this is happening to us. 
you know, Michael is somebody who I think has been very independent, and it was hard for him to let to ever let Lauren in, and he did, and Lauren is proving to be a strong partner through this. I obviously wish he would have told her before now, but now that she does know, I hope that they're able to face this challenge together and that it doesn't result in his death. Uh, she had asked him, you know, what is it about you know, you tell me the diagnosis, and he says it's stage three, and she says, okay, well, it's not the worst then. So it seemed like there was an element of hope there. I hope that Michael is not going to die. I, I, I don't want to see an extended, um, I don't want this to drag out too far. I know it's probably unreasonable. I just, I'd like it to be like, okay, well, let's magically cure this and go away. But I know that's not, that's not reality either. I'm not sure how far down this road, ugh that YNR is going to take us. I just don't know. Um, creating kind of a contrast to that storyline, Chris announces to Paul that she's pregnant. So this is a joyous moment for Chris and Paul. It's hard to see Michael and Lauren going through this most horrible, probably biggest challenge of their lives, uh, while Paul and Chris are going through the most amazing, joyous moment of their lives. Um, I think next week they're going to have a party to announce it, which will no doubt be awkward. I just hope that, you know, now Paul is getting a new child. Let's just hope he doesn't screw this one up, okay? Because Paul does not have a good track record when it comes to his children. Heather don't have anything to do with him hardly. She didn't know her till she was an adult. Ricky, I think we all know how that turned out. And now, I mean, Dylan, he didn't even know he had until later in life and he probably turned out the best of all of them so Paul's gonna have a new kid let's try Paul to focus on this kid and not screw it all up and I swear to you if YNR kills Michael at the same time as Chris you know or kills Michael basically then has Chris give birth to a new child immediately after and if she like names the kid Michael or something that's so predictable it's like, like been done just now and if that's the route you're going YNR don't do it well I, I, I wanted to have a happy note following that. Um, Kevin and Marias shared their first kiss this week, and it was um, it was it was kind of unexpected for both of them. I think they don't know what to do with the feelings that they're having. Kevin has been needing to talk about the issue uh, that Michael's been going through. Um, I mean, Kevin's been keeping a very heavy secret, and he hasn't been able to talk to anyone about it. And Mariah has become his best friend, and I think seeing Michael keep a secret like this from the people who actually care about him prompted Kevin to open up to Mariah, who has been very supportive. And so he tells her the truth, and uh, they have this kind of like moment of coming to terms with what they are to each other and what it means to be supportive with one another. And he kisses her um, out, out in the hallway of the underground, and they, they both are like, I don't know what to do about this. What are we supposed to do? Mariah says, like, well, I guess we're supposed to have sex now. What are we supposed to have sex now? I mean, that's the next stop on the Friendship Express. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, she, she seemed like maybe she was okay with it, <laughs> but Kevin uh, put a stop to it. He said, you know, he said, you know, believe me, there are parts of me, I'll let you guess which one, uh, that would love to have sex with you, but the other parts of me are telling me no. I mean, why ruin a good thing too early? I agree. Let's let, let's let this slowly unfold, because I think 
that there is a very special little relationship brewing here, and I, I, I'm grateful. I thank you, YNR, for, for cultivating offbeat characters and romances like this. Okay, how about some comments? Um, Gary left a voicemail for me this week and said uh, about the scene where Victoria is introducing Katie to Catherine. Gary said, you know, Victoria's words about Catherine were incredible, but the connection between Victoria and Catherine was a little bit forced. Uh, those two characters didn't have a lot of scenes together. And I wanted to follow up on that because I was thinking the same thing. Even though I loved that scene, it made me cry, I felt it was very meaningful. I did in the back of my mind when Victoria named her child Catherine, I did think, well, Gosh, you know, Victoria and Catherine weren't really that close. Yes, Catherine was her godmother, and I'm sure that there uh, is, has been an implication throughout the years. I mean, it was her mother's best friend. It's just, it's funny. Like, it makes intellectual sense to me, but at the same time, um, it doesn't make emotional sense to me because YNR didn't really cultivate a friendship between Victoria and Catherine. Catherine had a lot of younger uh, characters as friends, like Amber. Like, she Kevin. I mean, she really reached out to the younger crew and mentored them, and, and 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 Victoria was never really one of them. So I really thought that was a good point, and I wanted to make sure to acknowledge it. Um, Gary also said, and I'm going to quote this because this is this is so good. Gary says, "I would be interested in seeing Phyllis push Kelly down a flight of stairs." <laughs> I uh, I love that because I mean, the scene where Phyllis is like flying down the stairs and. Kelly's following her. I, don't know, I was kind of wishing Kelly would push Phyllis down and fly the stairs yet again, but you know, Phyllis has got to get her revenge somehow. It's just, it's funny. And now every time we see Phyllis coming down a flight of stairs, we're not going to be able to help thinking about that. Uh, Samuel Childers on Facebook says, Phyllis is one silly woman. Why are you mad at Kelly? And then you go to Kelly's office and think she's going to let Phyllis walk all over her? It's stupid. Phyllis came into her territory. She has every right to tear Phyllis's ass up. I agree. I thought the same thing. I, I mean, I like the what you said about territory too. Phyllis didn't just like approach her in a neutral situation. She Phyllis got up in Kelly's whole life. And Kelly was even saying, leave my place of business. It was it was inappropriate and I completely think Kelly's reaction was warranted. Uh, Michael left me a voicemail that said, you know, we keep talking about how Kelly hasn't impressed us. Well she did today. I agree, Michael. I mean, I, I, I wholeheartedly feel differently about Kelly now. I liked the vicious Kelly. I don't know why. Maybe just seeing her be victim-y for all of these weeks and months, really, since she's come onto the show, is, was wearing a little bit thin. I was happy to see some Miss Fierce coming out of her. Uh, Michael also said... Let's let's see. I want to see a Victoria Ashley stitch triangle. Leave Billy and Chelsea alone. They'll have Adam to contend with. Victoria and Ashley have never gotten along. Remember Cole Howard? Victoria married him first, then Ashley. Yes. I hadn't thought about the Cole connection, but that is a good point. Um, I don't even know. That had to have been in the mid-90s. Uh, Victoria, after her relationship with Ryan broke up, she married Cole. When, Victor when that didn't work out, uh, he started developing a relationship with Ashley. I almost want to say Cole worked 
uh, at the same place Ashley did, and they were flirty, flirty for a little while. But yes, I think Victoria and Ashley could have a, a definitely a good rivalry going on. Um, rocks, 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 Grace on YouTube says regarding Kyle, I had asked uh, you guys a couple months or shoot, no, last week, maybe the week before about if there had been any casting calls on the character of Kyle, because it seems like that's that's a, a wedge point between Summer and Austin. And Kyle's been mentioned a lot lately. So I thought, well, are, are, are they casting him? And Rocks, 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 Grace says per Soap Opera Digest, there's a call, a casting call for a mid 20s male for the role of Matt Wilkins, and he is set to start taping at the end of January. He comes from a wealthy Kennedy-type family, and many people are speculating that this is a veiled casting call for Kyle. This gotta be, right? They gotta be laying some groundwork. Why? They don't tend to mention characters who are off the canvas for, not, for, for no reason. So I think we might be seeing Kyle recast. If he's not filming till the end of January, though, we probably won't be seeing him until... Um, what, what, like February? Aren't they about a month behind? Um, January on YouTube says uh, she really hopes that Neil is getting his eyesight back and that he sees Hillary and Devon together in some little way and then pretends to be blind for a bit longer and really catches them and lets them know exactly what creeps they are. I completely 100% agree, January, and that is what I am hoping happens. That is what I want to see. Um, Michael Bruins Miller on Facebook says, what an emotional, oh no, I'm sorry, it's Michelle. Sorry, I misread my, because I was looking at my notes here and I had my, I saw Michael. But Michelle on Facebook says, what an emotional our episode today. I couldn't stop crying over Michael and his beautiful wife and the heartache, pain, and just raw anguish really dipped into my deep well of emotions. What did you all think? I, I know, I know. It's, I feel torn because on the one hand, Michelle, I feel like it's such an opportunity to talk about something that a lot of people and couples go through. Uh, on the other hand, I'm like, I don't want to go through this. Nobody wants to go through cancer. And it's, it feels like YNR is making me go through it, especially because people like us are sensitive and we're empathetic and we're, you know, we identify with the characters on the screen. And there's a part of me that's scared to go through this and that doesn't want to go through this. But at the same time, I do think we're seeing some amazing acting. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I I was teared up. I was really, really teared up, especially when Michael kind of let, let it all loose. It's going to be hard to watch. Um, but Linda Scott on YouTube said, stage three prostate cancer is very treatable. It can be cured. The doctor was talking about hormone therapy, which was an option, but would likely not cure Michael. He was also mentioning surgery and radiation, but all the treatments have side effects. Um, Christian, because last week I was like, I don't, I was trying to listen to what the doctor was saying, but I couldn't get it because I don't know that much. I mean, like, I literally... I've lost several family members, I mean, to cancer, starting back around the time I even started watching YNR. Like, anybody that's died in my family has, for the most, like, 90% died of cancer. So I have this trigger in my mind where I'm like, oh, cancer, you're going to die. So I think I was maybe projecting some of that and thinking, oh, no, this is the worst of the worst. But Linda Scott goes on to say, Christian LeBlanc was interviewed in Soap Opera Digest. This is not a contract issue. Uh, YNR wanted to do a cancer story and were hinting at it last spring. Christian doesn't know if Michael will survive, but says that prostate cancer is often slow growing. 
I'm just gonna keep my fingers crossed that he does survive because Michael's one of my favorite characters and it's funny I was thinking to myself the other day that of all the characters on the show I think I identify with Michael the most I mean there are characters that I like um there are you know there are characters that I don't like but if I had to pick somebody who I think most closely matches my personality, I think I'd say Michael. I think that's a good question. You guys should leave me comments and let me know who who you most closely identify with on the show. I love that question. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, um, I, I don't want to lose him. I, 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 I can't imagine why I'm without him, but don't have control over such things, unfortunately. Um, Ellen C. on Facebook says... Uh, this is a good comment. Chelsea actually told Billy to stop saying horrible things about the husband she lost and her son's father on Friday. Um, it was a miracle, at, or sorry, it's like a miracle after listening to a year of these insults with no rebuttal from the people who cared about Adam. But of course, it's not enough. Delia's death was accidental, not a murder. The negligent party here was Billy, not Adam. Billy left a, lo a young child in a car alone at night. When is someone going to call him out on that and set the record state straight regarding Adam. Well, yes, that's a voice that needs to be heard and that's a, an argument that needs to be said. Billy, I think just they haven't really held his feet to the fire on that. Uh, anybody within the last year. And it, it's it's tough. It's tough. It wasn't maybe maybe the answer is it's not one person's like entire fault because there's a I mean, Billy couldn't have predicted that but at the same time I agree it, Billy was not blameless here and he seems very happy to push it off on Adam or anybody else I mean I'm sure he's gone through his process of hating himself and blaming himself but that has kind of quickly washed away into complete hatred and blaming of Adam um one other zinger that, that Ellen had that I'll I'll end on I noticed I didn't notice this until a little later but uh Ellen says, is it me <laughs> or did Dylan kneel down next to a trash can to propose to Avery? <laughs> the dialogue was sweet, but the visuals were kind of funny. Move the trash can! Okay, you guys, that does it for me this week. I love you. I love your comments. It's so, um, it's just so cool to be able to connect with so many different people and personalities over YNR. I, I do sometimes feel like, uh, am I watching? I, I, in the past, it always felt like I was watching it in a bubble. And one thing I've learned from all my YNR chatting is that there are so many people out there who really watch and love and consume the show and become consumed by the show in the same way that I do. And it's, it feels good to know that I'm not alone and and I'm not there are a lot of you who love the show as much as I do so please keep the comments coming um I tell you what I think I'm finally toward the end of this whole transferring websites madness it has not been fun uh but I think I've got it so if you guys see anything inconsistent, let me know. If you have any trouble uh, downloading the podcast or uh, seeing yrchat.com, in fact, do me a favor. Try to download some podcasts. Uh, everything is accessible, should be accessible through yrchat.com. Go through to that website. Click. Do some clicking. And let me know if anything is broken. Can I tell you what a pain in the butt it's been? But I think I've got it now, finally. I mean, it's been 
three weeks, for crying out loud, four weeks maybe. It's been a long time. So um, it would help me out if you guys would go to yrchat.com um, and maybe try to download some podcasts or stream them, see if everything is working. Uh, it is to the best of my knowledge, but... You can also go to Facebook, Twitter. Um, you can call into my voicemail at 309-588-4569. Let me know if everything seems technically like it's functioning okay. Let me know what you think about this past week's show. Give me your predictions. What the heck is Ger- Gerlanimo? What was it? I forget now. <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me how you're feeling about all this. Tell me which character you are, which is the character you identify most with on my and our and uh, come back next week. I'll, I'll, I'll be here and we'll chat again about our show. <laughs> okay, you guys, I love you. Everybody have a good one. Bye.